Hi, my name is Loris Bertolacci and I was involved as a high performance manager, strength and conditioning coach and worked in rehabilitation in the AFL for 20 years. After AFL, I, I worked extensively with athletes from many sports uh, under 18 years of age and, and, and in that period from 2007 to 2017 with AFL players in the Australian rules footballers in the under 18 system, VFL and, and local football. Uh, added to this was a sabbatical, for want of a better word, at the Northern Territory Institute of Sport, where I worked in long-term athlete development. And there I had time to gather my thoughts on, on this topic, and, and, and obviously significantly in AFL. Uh, now in China at the Shanghai Sports Institute, working with young athletes again. I'm an exercise physiologist, sports scientist, uh, etc. So... Historically, I had a lot of involvement with the AFL drafts at the AIS and, 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 and obviously with the development of players that were drafted over many years. Uh, but also alongside Daryl Marchant, uh, Dr. Daryl Marchant, um, I had significant input into many tests in the early years of the drafts. It's interesting that when the AFL draft was initially held at VFL Park in Waverley, um, they were timing 40 metres, I'm pretty sure, on the grass. I advised them that they should go indoors for reliability, which makes sense, uh, but there was only 20 metres space in the rooms on carpet at BFL Park. So that's how the 20 metres test evolved. Uh, not a lot of science to the 20 metre distance, bar reliability issues. And, and now looking at JB Marin's work and all the force velocity curves and, and that, we, we really should be testing 30 metres at least to get a better assessment of the whole spectrum of acceleration and speed capabilities of young footballers or footballers in general, or athletes in general. Um, max velocity is sort of reached at 30 metres for most footballers, sort of. Uh, plus in 2020, you know, use, use quality equipment. Um, I, I hope they're still not doing it, but I was training some kids recently and uh, for the draft camp and they were told to lift their arm and stand upright so that they didn't break the beam. It was just bizarre, and I think that would have a definite impact on times, and is exactly what we don't want to see at the start anyway. So that's possibly, possibly a cynical um, attitude from mine where, you know, sports science and, and coaching clash. Um, I also remember using an old 80s NSCA journal that I had and I advised uh, the draft camp to use the repeat line drill test or the suicide basketball test. Um, this was used for many years and um, then evolved into the repeat speed test, which to me is fairly meaningless and insignificant. Uh, and thankfully it's not used anymore. Well, I don't think it is. So obviously when looking at long-term athlete development in Australian rules football, I'm a little bit biased because I've, I've often criticised the AFL draft system just simply too young. Uh, in terms of a funnel of players into the AFL, into the elite system, it works because even if players after the top 20 picks who, who may not be the best picks, um, the AFL system is so professional that players drafted improve once in the system if they're dedicated. Uh, and in fact, players not drafted at 18 often just do not improve due to poor training methods and lack of opportunities at sub-elite level. So you, you get this huge disparity occurring at 18, 19, which is crazy. Um, 
Obviously, um, the draft was copied from the USA college, but as we all know, they drafted at 21-22. They played, they played clutch games in front of 100,000 people and they've trained for years and years and years. So pretty much a, a different situation there. So obviously, again, in, in terms of long-term athletic development, young players, parents and coaches have different goals. Um, some, many, I'm not sure, start with the aim or the thought of playing AFL at the elite level. Um, but my experience, and it's just subjective, is that in the pathway system at 14 or 15, if they don't get picked in that system, they generally lose interest. Again, I don't think that's quite right, um, but it's necessary given the under-18s and the under-16s uh, systems require a culling process. You'd be basically getting the funnel starting at 14, really. Um, and the other aspect, obviously, is parents who are just interested in their children or coaches or even players that just want to have fun or the parents are just interested in their children getting the most improvement, progression and fun and part of their whole sort of uh, socialisation. So it's a little bit of a different situation. But again, it, uh, a lot of these um, theories or, or issues impinge upon this. My, my, my conclusion for this podcast is pretty simple. I mean, I'm going to start at the end, really. It, it, we, we, we tend to look for a cookbook. It, it's individual from a maturational perspective, from the, the um, player's genetics, their training age, what they've done in the past, their multilateral development, how much training they've had with the ball, and then simply their needs. That could be a rehab situation. But everyone does like a cookbook. And also, as a player... Um, reaches maturity and then after that stage all these needs change it's extremely dynamic in some of the studies i'll talk about chat about that there's a lot of research and a lot of discussion in the media on fitness at the afl at the elite level you know about injuries and training methods and camps but i don't see a lot on the developmental pathways we, we, we talk a fair bit about multilateral development before we reach those pathways and that's a totally different um, situation to what we're discussing here. Yet the system and the pathway really starts at 12, just to use an age. One of the questions I always asked AFL players when I was uh, involved was what sports did they play other than Australian rules football at primary school level? I was really interested in the multilateral aspect of development, possibly more just what, what have they done. Subjectively, remember basketball being said a lot from players. The other question I posed to many players and still do is, how did you rank at school, especially primary school, in sprint events and endurance events? Simply a run around the schoolyard in a, in a sprint race. Sort of a cheap genetic test. My theory was that when I found out what sports they played, plus whether they were fast twitch or slow twitch or in between, I would couple this subjective data with their AFL fitness and skill levels and add it to my arsenal of information of a player. Obviously, we, we can go the next step with genetic tests and that's available to everybody now. So I have decided to look at a couple of research articles on junior Australian football or draft camps on sports science and development and fitness, whatever you want to call it, 
and use those to to attach my thoughts and opinions and uh, use use those research uh, articles simply as a base to chat from to be honest my own day is not to talk in scientific jargon parents and coastal coaches that they, they want guidelines examples which relate to the young players or children and assist in decision making so i'll call it research to practice but want the information i provide uh, to be able to be disseminated and in, implemented um, even I struggled to clearly understand what some of these research articles um, said or were pointing to, especially with the statistics. It, 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 you, need, you need to really know a fair bit. Imagine a parent. Imagine a local coach. I assume a review or research should ultimately lead to some practical decision-making or training interventions. So my aim is to simply use these articles, um, to, as I said, to attach to my opinions or to lead to some sort of some sort of actions. Parents have access to personal trainers now a lot more than in the past given the explosion of performance centres, personal trainers and the explosion of graduates. But generally uh, in this situation because of the financial aspect the session is glorified and not the journey. Short-term games are sought and rarely is the three to six year program outlined. Nothing wrong with a shiny session given that's what parents pay for but this new industry often misses the crucial honest discussions that must be had. It normally does take time. Where is your child at? And it's going to take a year to do this. And then in two years' time, things are going to change, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So firstly, without spitting out articles critically um, at the elite level, 25 is the optimal age for a team and usually a player. I'm not going to go into the research there. And despite outliers, outliers sorry, it takes quite a few years before a drafted player has an impact on the AFL scene, let alone the VFL or even local football. So the journey's a long one. But as mentioned, the AFL draft is copied from the US draft, um, but obviously a lot younger. Having said that, I'll try and limit this article to 12 to under 18 levels. Socially after under 18, young players either go to university or work or simply become more independent. And critically, despite some players being drafted after under 18, yeah, they, they, there is some sort of uh, ability or chance to get drafted if you miss the underrated draft. Most gravitate to local footy or many stop playing, given the dream is over. So one of the studies, physical characteristics of players within the Australian Football League, Participation Pathways, a systematic review, uh, 2017 Sports Medicine Journal, Open Journal, um, the first quote is the Talent Pathways, a national program consisting of regional development squads where talented players can transition through to under 14 or 16 state championships and national under 16s and 18 championship teams. So that's the pathway. Given the serious business, therefore, starts at under 18, under 14 level, it's my opinion that this really starts at 12. Most teams will still pick better players. Win-loss is always an issue. That's the same in soccer. Uh, but by under 14, this selection cynically might be already completed. And as I'll discuss later, this flies in the face of most maturational research and the fact that it's a long and winding road before young players become good senior players. So another quote from the article was that the aim of this article was to conduct a systematic review of the physical test performances of Australian football players and establish a comprehensive model of differences in physical performance along the AFL local and talent pathways that informs talent selection, 
recruitment and fitness program design. That's a great aim because there is a massive difference from 12 to 15 years of age for young footballers in how you design a fitness program. But also within that age group, there's a huge variation in individual stages and needs um, way more than after 16, 17, 18 years of age. Often there's argument about the best test for AFL. The best test for any sport, not for AFL, is a game of football. Um, but having said that, I always like to remain consistent with my testing so I could compare players over a number of years. So even just a 20-metre sprint with electronic gates indoors or a properly hand-timed test and a beep test over a number of years or a 2K test on a running track is enough. Are they the best test? Probably not, but longitudinal, you can draw some conclusion. Adding this to height and weight and age and simple data can be powerful when related to what is happening on the field in Australian football football in, in a developmental perspective. So... Physical testing of Australian rules footballers, this article says, is of particular interest in the identification of talented Australian football players. However, inconsistency of test protocols is a challenge, and the football community is, under, is in understanding what is required physically of players as they transition from local to elite competition. So if you're going to use tests, you've got to be consistent. And don't use too many tests. That's possibly my uh, opinion. And they certainly looked at the change of direction test, which I think is relatively useless, and concluded these tests were too variable. You know, footwear, dust, whatever, shoes. Um, Other tests, such as the repeat speed test, which is not done anymore, but still valid for this discussion, and movement screenings were discussed. What I got out of this article was the need to look at the big rocks. Fancy word. In this case a sprint and an endurance test. And the focus has to be fairly reliable testing. Simple but reliable. That's a challenge. So for the parent or local coach, the challenge is not to get too immersed in too many tests or the PT or the strength and conditioning expert given the inconsistencies that exist. But the challenge is to do two or three tests properly longitudinally. As I said, the best test for any sport is a sport. But in the case of long-term athlete development, you just have to add an assessment of maturational levels of their training age, their genetics, and their relative, uh, relative age effect when they were born. I mean, it all can add up to massive issues. So the, the, the article went on to say physical tests will more effectively discriminate levels of competition between local participation AFL players but are less useful within the AFL talent pathway. So bigger, stronger, faster at local level, you're going to perform a lot better. Obviously, then those kids have got to the AFL talent pathway, so... Skill becomes a bigger discriminant there. But it's the bigger, part, bigger, faster kids that got there and then once they're in there, they're a fairly homogenous group. As to be, that's my opinion. As to be discussed later, testing is more important at the local level because when coupled with maturational data and performance, it allows for more clarity in what to prescribe the player. 
and also maybe because faster, fitter, stronger will get picked up quicker in the pathway. And the article goes on to say, when comparing local participation level players to players within the talent pathway, there was a larger variability in the 20-metre shuttle test, the beep test. Um, the standard deviation was pretty big um, and was much higher than across the talent pathway levels. Uh, this observation, they explain partly by variations in biological maturity in pubertal stages of players competing in this age group. So that, that always tends to come up. And we can see that just after maturity, which can be approximately 30 to 15, there's a massive variation in these tests. The study found certainly found a large variation in beef tests, as mentioned, and at this stage, that was attributed to the volatility of maturation. Yet ironically, this is the start of the pathway in AFL, one way to get to that stage. So work that out. Um, the other point they made was it appears that 20 metres sprint time may not be a discriminating physical characteristic between junior talent levels, but it may contribute to player selection from local participation in the talent pathway or junior talent levels into elite AFL competition. So once you're in the middle, it probably doesn't mean as much. Recruiters generally don't like slow players, so it, it's quite variable what seems to happen along this pathway. But again, we see here that it seems to contribute to selection from local participation into the talent pathway. So, so speed, to be honest, should be tracked right, for a number of reasons, obviously. Plus, if players at the draft camp level are very slow and there's a decision to be made between two players of equal ability subjectively, I have seen the faster player being selected. So it's tough. I think subjectively at under 18, under 16 level, being stronger and fitter and being able to play a bit is critical. But at the pointy end, AFL recruiters are wary of slow players unless they have prodigious skill levels or good skill and crazy endurance. So at every stage, things vary. And again, in my opinion, that actually is a black mark against the current AFL draft system. Whereas if you drafted later, you'd get uh, more consistent sort of uh, situations occurring. Suppose what I got out of this article as a takeaway, in my opinion, simply was if I had a choice from 12 to 16, I would do the beep test indoors and I would have the player tested hopefully electronically twice a year under the same conditions for speed. But if the hand timing is really accurate, that's okay. We also need to look at, um, critically, 13 to 15 year olds, the, the, the absolute priori priority is to get some maturational data. What is that? Well, look, height, weight, sitting height if possible. This critical need to assess maturation and understand why things are happening throughout the actual culling process is critical. I'll use that word again. So move on to the next article and then to the punchline at the end. The next, the next article, identifying the physical fitness, anthropometric and athletic movement qualities discriminant of developmental le level in junior, elite junior Australian football rights. Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, 2017. So this sort of found that uh, the vertical jump Repeat speed through speed test and beep test provided the greatest association. Thus, the conclusion here was, or 
was that uh, Australia's football coaches at the under-16 level may consider implementing training interventions oriented around increasing their players' low body power, repeated spin ability and maximal aerobic capacity. This may not only improve the developmental transition to the under-18 level, they said, but may also increase the player's prospective likelihood of being talented identified at the under-18 level. After reading this, my first thought was that it highlighted the problems of early talent ID. ID. No, there's nothing wrong with the study's conclusions. Improving anaerobic processes, in this case repeat speed, will definitely give a short-term benefit, but no long-term developmental benefit. Improving speed, making sure the player is a quality aerobic process, but not at the expense of speed, and having a full arsenal of moving competencies has always been critical in my opinion, I'm sure many others, till 16 or 17 as a priority. It is easy after to add anaerobic work to well-developed qualities. In my opinion, the long-term athlete development of a young footballer should involve the funnel approach, improve acceleration speed maximally and associated technical needs, develop aerobic qualities sufficiently to underpin long-term repeat speed or anaerobic tolerance lead needs, but never at the expense of speed and power. When they get to approximately 17, 18, 19, 20, Years of age that anaerobic tra- training to utilise those fully developed qualities is necessary and obviously impacts on performance. But the trap is to push aerobic, uh, anaerobic work early and in fact get super strong in the gym really early to get up the pathway. Reality is that quite often in the short term at 15 or 16 this will work. So that becomes quite a tough issue from a developmental perspective. The article went on to talk about the development of players' movement competency may be a more immediate concern for coaches given the low scores observed at under 18 levels. It's imperative that coaches aim to increase athletic movement skills in junior AFL players as poorly developed movement competency may inhibit a player's ability to tolerate advanced training demands, limiting their potential to progress. That's, this is well explained in this article. And whilst improving movement competencies will not provide immediate improvements long term, it's obviously in the best players, uh, young players' best interests, as against uh, my opinion with anaerobic work. Obviously, in junior clubs and THC clubs, it's difficult to do this because of numbers and lack of staff. So, this is where individual coaching comes in. The dilemma is, though, that at 15 or 16, if a player hits the gym and gets some serious anaerobic work in, they may play better short term, as mentioned, and, and sneak into the pathway. So that's a decision that has to be made. And, and this article also talked about uh, the, the need to look at maturation, which is a pretty obvious thing. Um, so the main uh, statistic or data in this article demonstrated that fitter and stronger players um, we're better off in, in transitioning in the pathway. In simplicity, this is okay, but again, it would seem more prudent to wait a bit longer to spike these fitness capacities such as anaerobic capacities and strength and development qualities and skills as mentioned. In conclusion, this article again did emphasise movement qualities and the need to develop these from a LTAD perspective, uh, but only because under 16 under 18 players scored, scored significantly less than AFL senior players and, and, and as mentioned before one, if a player does get drafted they're surrounded by 
expert staff. So you get a rapid improvement um, if, if there's things being left out. So the dilemma for a coach, parent, or a personal trainer or a strength and conditioning expert is do we try and spike the young 15, or even 14, 15, or 16-year-old player who is not a prodigious talent in terms of skills with strength, fitness, and anaerobic qualities to enhance short-term performance to sneak through to the 15 to 17 brackets to the under-18 stage or to the under-16 and under-18 stage? Probably have to. It's, probably, it's not the right thing in terms of developing an athlete. Okay, so uh, next article, Biological Maturity and the Anthropometric, Physical and Technical Assessment of Talent Identified uh, Under-16 Players, right? So this was in, uh, in WA, International Journal of Sports Science and Coaching 217. And this study compared biological maturation, anthropometric, physical, technical skills uh, between talent and non-talent, uh, sorry about that, there's fireworks going on in the back one, and non-talent identified junior Australian footballers. Players were recruited from the, the 15 and under, uh, under 16 Western Australian um, Football League and they were classified as talent or non-talent identified. And simply the biological maturation was found to influence um, anthropometric and physical capacities advantageous for performance in Australian football. Um, so the conclusion was talent identification methods should factor biological maturation as a, as, um, as a need in the search for junior players um, who are most likely to succeed because <laughs> that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I, I remember a soccer player I had in, in Darwin. I was helping and he was highly skilled. He was 13 and a half. He was 35 kilos. No, he was less. He was 33 kilos. I did a sitting height, standing height, you know, maturational assessment. And he said he had still two years to his growth spurt. So he, had, he wasn't getting selected in, in, in the rep teams. And yet he had the highest skill levels. I mean, it sort of said it all to me. So the last article I wanted to talk about, which was, again, emphasising this, this situation, was uh, Paul Gustin's article, Late Maturers at a Performance are at a performance disadvantage to their more mature peers in junior Australian football bang. Um, and as, as the article says, the suggestion that early maturing youth may have a physical and functional performance advantage over their less mature peers uh, has been confirmed in this study in junior Australian football. So... Um, and I don't want to go into a boring rehash and maturation, but we, we know that players have growth spurts at different times and this, these growth spurts and are performing just at the start, just in between the start of this talent pathway or culling process. Um, and, and, and as the study said, chronological age in this uh, group spanned 1.3 years, while biological age is estimated as years to and from PHV peak height velocity spanned 2.7 years. Uh, things are changing. Things are very different at that point. So uh, when grouped into maturity categories based on pubertal development, approximately half were assessed as early or late maturers. Um, the 20-metre sprint was significantly different between early and late maturers. And in their case, their study, the 20-metre shuttle, was not. 
in, in junior sport, they found where individuals compete in the same age group, um, maturation had an obvious, obvious substantial positive effect on acceleration, maximum running speed, and repeated, and, and then obviously repeated sprint, sprint performance. Um, and they did find that seated height to be a significant predictor of 20 metre sprint time, again, maturation. So their findings were, or demonstrated that, quote, within the same playing age group and level of competition, early matures are significantly greater in measures of body size, speed, and measures of match running performance, with these differences being large and moderate in size. If such differences are also evident in other football codes, these primary differences may underpin secondary outcomes and include, in the end, selection bias. So, whether these short-term differences translate into long-term differences is unknown, and thus, selection of youth players based on physical attributes at this age is not well justified. And coaches, parents, administrators, and policy makers should be aware of all this. So, as mentioned at the start, basically, the AFL system is too young. That's my opinion. It was modelled again on the US system and that's just a completely different situation in terms of when they're, when they're drafted. Again, the system simplistically works because it pushes, well, in the end, a thousand players into a very elite system. But for individual parents at ages of 14 to 17 in particular, it is a stressful time quite often because they're trying to find a magic bullet and they're trying to push if, if they have got that goal. The draft shows that the stars can be picked early. That, of course, makes sense. Outliers are easy to pick. So the, the decision then becomes, does a parent or coach take a truly long-term athlete development stance and not try and fast-track a player? Or do they just get the player really strong and do heaps of hard, intense anaerobic work so that they can sneak into the under-14, under-16 squads in AFL? but possibly limit further potential because you've pretty much used it all up then. At the pointy end of the draft, things change again, as mentioned. If you're on the edge at 14 to 16 years of age and want to make it, then simply you probably have to maximise your short foot potential and get into the pathway. It's a bit like I always say, just get drafted, then you're okay. Well, same thing, just get into the pathway because once you're in the pathway, You've got a chance. Taking that a step further, get a professional to assess what is holding the player back in terms of sneaking through the pathways to get in to those talent pathways and hammer those deficiencies. If instead you have the absolute long-term interest at heart and, and want to work on skills, how to run properly and movement competencies, then do the right thing, but it, it may not work. So that's really, there's really not much else to say. Uh, I think the obvious thing is that maturation is a massive issue in this situation. And what happens, the trickle-down effect of an early draft under 18 causes a rush of different training needs before that, um, going all the way back to 12, which aren't really... Um, in sync with the best possible uh, athletic developmental dogma from 12 to 16 to 17 for an athlete. Uh, 